you could be a fire department in Seattle, fire captain in Seattle, but you could come to Virginia and still apply for that same position and not lose anything because you have the exact same training. They have uniform basic training. For police, that's a little difficult, but I still believe there should be some basic type training that we all have in law enforcement. So no matter what state I go to, we still have that same type of similar baseline training. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. What's going on, good people? Welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. My name is Dale, and I'm the host. Thank you for uh, joining me on this uh, journey to speak with various minorities in law enforcement. If you like this sort of content and want to help me continue to bring you these kinds of stories, click those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel. And if you listen to me on your favorite podcast platform, please rate the black and blue podcast five stars and finally check me out on any one of my social media pages for even more content you can find me everywhere at black and blue us all right so my guest today is the deputy uh, chief of police for one of the, the uh, state of virginia's finest law enforcement organizations so everybody help me welcome to the show hampton virginia police chief uh, Deputy Police Chief, let me get that correction there. Uh, Deputy Police Chief Oren Gallup. How you doing, sir? I'm good. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for joining me. Hey, no problem. Yeah, yeah. We 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 had a uh, so f- for the viewers and listeners out there, we had a couple of technical glitches here <laughs> before we got the show started, and, uh, and the deputy chief was was gracious enough to stick through me through uh, stick with me through it. But uh, we made it, and we are here, and let's get this show started. So, how you doing out there in in uh, Virginia today? What what's going on in Virginia? Uh, it's not as hot as it's been the past few weeks, but it feels good outside today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was telling you off air. Uh, me and the family, we just returned from there. We dropped off the daughter over at Howard, and uh, and then we did an East Coast jaunt through different cities and states. And uh, so we went through the whole DMV, which is, what, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So, yeah, yeah we had a good time out there. We liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Are you originally from, from Virginia? No, I'm originally from North Carolina, a small town, Elizabeth City. It's about Elizabeth an hour City. away from here. Elizabeth City State University. That's the area. And, and then what brought you to, to Hampton, though? Um, I originally was, uh, I was in the Navy, and I was stationed at Oceana. And then when I, I went back home, um, after I went to North Carolina State for um, three years, college, my mother had got sick, and I went home to take care of her. And then when I decided to get back into things, um, it wasn't that far away from home. That's why I chose um, Hampton. Nice, nice. And you've been there how long now? Um, September 20th will be my 29th year. 
29 years. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank you. How, how much longer are you doing? Um, I know I have 30 next September uh, in there, but at that point, you know, I think it may be time to get some of the younger guys an opportunity because I think I would have done pretty much all the stuff here that I've wanted to do, that I've wanted to um, accomplish. Yeah, yeah. And right now you are a deputy police chief. Um, so throughout your 29, almost 30 years, you've, you've risen through the ranks. How, how many deputy chiefs are there? One. We have one deputy. We're allotted for um, two assistant chiefs, but right now we have one. I was appointed the first deputy chief um, in April. Okay. So t tell everybody a little bit about Hampton. What's the size, the demographics, and then a little bit about the department as well. We're approximately between, fluctuate between 135,000 to about 140,000 people. Demographically, we're, we kind of went through a switch demographically where in uh, one census we went from about 41, 42% um, African-American to now the majority of the city is African-American. Um, our police division, we have, a, we're allotted approximately 315 officers, um, very diverse. And um, I think to me, it's one of the best organizations um, in the state. Yes, and, and it should be. I mean, you've been there 29 <laughs> years. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you said it's a pretty diverse diverse city and uh, yes. primarily African-American at this point, you know, maybe 50% uh, or 40% or so. What, what about the, the department itself? Our department is minority-wise still majority um, white, but we have, when you count my, all minorities from, you know, if you look at females, you've got black, Hispanic, different. We're moving up in a higher percentage. Um, I'd say we move, I'm not exactly sure, but I know it's in that Probably that's somewhere in that thirty percent range up in that area, if not a little higher. And okay. our at our ranks is that right now we just had um, our first um, African American chief that was selected. Um, right now, with uh, other assistant chief is African American, and myself. So right now, our our entire executive staff is African American. Nice, nice. And and what sort of uh, so what sort of things are you dealing with as a as a you know, as most municipal agencies are, you, you, do you have a homeless crisis? Are you dealing with a lot of uh, transient people coming through through the uh, through the city? Are you dealing with lots of burglaries and, and violent crimes. What what sort of things are happening in Hampton right now? Our biggest focus has been gun violence. Is what we've been dealing with. That's been our the thing that's been driving a lot of our crimes. So our entire focus has been um, guns and gun violence, especially among that same demographic that 15 to 24 year range and it's um, with us is predominantly African-American, but we've taken an approach, a little different approach this time where we're looking at not only the people who perpetrate, but also the victims or we call them vulnerable people. We look at who's doing the shooting and who's mo most likely to get shot. And so we take those early interventions between the department and the city, trying to find, you know, real solutions, not just, a police solution, but an entire city where we try to take a holistic approach. We've been working with um, Johns Hopkins University, um, Harvard University to come up with real solutions that can be data driven. Nice, nice. And I know you mentioned off air because right now you just said uh, 
uh, Johns Hopkins and Harvard, but we we all know that uh, Hampton University is is at where it's located. One of the HBCUs, Hampton University, is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, the real HU, Hampton um, <laughs> University. <laughs> the, yeah, the we work HU. with them where they have a, a good program where if our officers that um, if they're above twenty three, they have a program where they can go get their college education from um, Hampton University for free. And they nice. offer their program just uh, they started offering it a few years ago. We have some officers to go through it. We got a, they've come back and the grant is uh, again. So that's probably one of the best programs like that where we offer people to get their college education. So that that's a real good partnership we have with Hampton University. Nice. So is is the university one of the, the driving industries of the, of the town? What, what sort of industries are in Hampton? We have probably big it was Langley Air Force Base. We okay. have that here. Probably one of our biggest is um, Langley. Um, we just have uh, Amazon is also located at one of their facilities here, but those probably our two biggest economic drivers are those. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, we talked about, you know, after you got out the Navy, you started looking at uh, law enforcement uh, and, you know, Hampton was there. What, what, what kind of wanted to get you into law enforcement in the first place? Had you always wanted to be in law enforcement? Is it something that kind of was thrust upon you? Uh, originally, like I said, I was when I was going to North Carolina State, I was actually stud- studying engineering because I was one of those people I used to be fascinated by watching like rockets when I was little doing that. And um, I was studying engineering, but at some point, you know, I always loved math. But like I said, math didn't have the same love back for me. <laughs> and so when um, I looked at it, what I've always liked, too, is that I was military and I also enjoyed uh, police. So when I decided police in this area we have, we're we're pretty close in this area. If you look at it, you have cities, Hampton, Newport News, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, all of us are real close to each other. And um, when I came, you know, looking for different um, departments, I felt most comfortable at Hampton. And that's how I ended up in Hampton. And plus, it wasn't that far from home. So I could always go back and check on my mom if I needed to. Right, right. So all your people are still back in, in North Carolina? Oh, they all scattered <laughs> all over from <laughs> <laughs> Georgia, Virginia, North Carolina, different places were scattered all over the place. Okay. Okay. What was family life for you? Um, Mary, um, just celebrated my 18th anniversary. I had to make sure I got the number right. Um, <laughs> yes. Better. <laughs> um, no kids, but we do have a, a Yorkie that we just got a year ago where I was completely against it, but he's kind of grown on me. And now it's like um, my little sidekick. Your little sidekick, huh? Yeah. What's, what's his or her name? Um, my wife's favorite singer was Al Jarreau, so she named him Jarreau. Jarreau, okay. Wow, yes. that's interesting. Yeah. Al Jarreau, yeah, yeah. All right. Like it, like it, like it. So uh, so when you got into uh, into law enforcement, what what was that experience with you, uh, for you? Did, uh, you know, let's talk about your career. Yeah, obviously, you... You started on patrol, kind of kind of walk us through your career. When I came on in 1993, to date myself, that was during probably the height of the, um, the crack cocaine era. So policing mm-hmm. was completely different. It wasn't unusual to see um, on the corners um, crack and the different things and the drug deals. So when I came on the area that I worked, it was one of our areas where we did have a lot of drug dealing. So I was like, that was always one of my things that I, I enjoyed doing. So I did that after I got out of uniform patrol with my first, I think five or six years. Then I went into our special investigations unit 
where I did more type of drug interdiction, um, did some undercover, and I enjoyed That was probably the most fun I had in my entire career was that. Then when I got promoted as corporal, I went uh, uniform um, um, patrol supervisor, and I spent um, from there, uh, then I bike patrol, and when I went to sergeant, um, internal affairs, that was a different assignment for me. That was something that I would advise anybody in law enforcement, do a tour on internal affairs. You really get to understand how police department functions, everything about it, and it was difficult. That was probably mm-hmm. some of the most difficult times uh, when you have to investigate people that are officers that are your friends, people that you came through the ranks with, and especially when we all make mistakes and and you're dealing with it and you know that them being honest with you is probably going to mean that they may lose their job. So that was yeah. a difficult assignment, but it was also interesting to understand it. Then from there, when I got promoted, I was um, commander of our first training academy. We used to have a regional training academy, but then we started our own uh, police academy. So I was our first commander there. Um, when I got promoted to captain, I went back to uniform patrol. And then from there, we um, I got promoted to um, major. We had a major rank, but we changed it to, de- to um, assistant chief. And I've done everything within that rank. I've done um, administrative investigations um, and operations. So I've kind of had uh, all over throughout the police division because when I was coming up, one of uh, my mentors always told me, "Don't become, you know, pigeonholed in one and learn everything about the entire police division." If you want to understand what it's like as you go further up in management, do all the different things that are available to you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I also and- went to. Um, uh, also, uh, FBI NIA grad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When 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 did you go there? Uh, my class was two four one. I went there um, twenty ten, and it was April of twenty ten. Okay. All right. Congratulations on getting through Thank that. You. That's almost like going through an academy again, right? Yeah, it was. It was. I was probably it was good because it got me back healthy again. I got a good workout routine good food routine down. And so it was, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being there, especially meeting the other, my counterparts from across the country. So we can go over different things and, and to meet sometimes the people when you read stuff in the news, but when you actually um, meet those people, you talk to them, what it was like really going through those types of events. It's interesting to hear their perspective. And when they tell you things that they wish they would have done different, they pass on those to, to you. And so from those, I took some of that and I brought it back and uh, tried something different with us. We, um, so we wouldn't make some of those mistakes or we could learn from the things they did that was right. Yeah. What, what's the real purpose behind the, the National Academy? The main purpose of it is for um, law enforcement executives to get together and to really go to it. It's more like executive management training taught by um, FBI instructors. And they teach it from public speaking to behavioral science, how to do different investigations and to look at everything from an upper management perspective. And I think part of it too is for camaraderie and teamwork for everybody to get together and have that time together to interact with each other to show you that the way you do things may not necessarily be the only way to do it. And it's good to be exposed to different ways of doing different things. Yep, yep. And because we have these conversations on on this show a lot that, you know, the 18,000, you know, police agencies across 
you know, the United States. And so that means 18,000 different ways to do things. So, you know, what's your perspective on kind of maybe uh, unifying a lot of police tactics, procedures, recruitment, all that sort of stuff? What's your what's your thoughts on that? Well, one of the issues I see is that there are limited people sometimes who instruct. If you look at it from that, and uh, I've always wondered sometimes, why is it in policing? It seems like, you know, across the country, sometimes it makes some of those same type of mistakes or we do some of the similar type things because it's a lot of us are trained by the same people. What I, I would like to see is that, you know, we have more trainers, more diverse diversity in who we trained, different perspectives, you know, from the whole spectrum of it. So that I think that I think it's good to hear from all sides. And so that way, when you make decisions, it gives you the, that vantage point um, for unify some of it. I think it's hard because different communities are different the way they interact. And I think it's trying to force certain communities together. I don't think it would work. And they're like uh, us in this area, you see in this whole, like the Hampton Rose area. In some cities, Hampton, Newport News would be considered one, almost one city because we're so close, but we're really two different types of places and trying to combine it would never, it wouldn't work. But we do a lot of joint training together, but I think it's hard to try to combine the police departments. You can combine some of the services, like maybe dispatch, how we respond to where things on those border areas, you could do those types of things. But the actual service, I think it would be hard to combine some of the departments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that's been a lot of the discussion lately in law enforcement is that, uh, you know, we have all these different trainings and and what happens say in in virginia may not be the same thing that happens out here in la which may not be the same thing that happens in alabama and so forth and but then when these incidents come out in the news you know use of force incidents and things like that is you know training 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 and you know one agency may not be trained the way same way another agency is trained and 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 then that's why we get into these to these situations and media frenzies but i do think there is there should be certain um, baseline training that all of us have. All yeah. of us should be having some baseline training to where whether, because each of the states had a different um, accreditation agencies and certifying agencies for law enforcement, there should be bare minimums. We should be equal in how we do some of our verbal de-escalation, how we do our mm-hmm. use of force tactics, how we do some of our basic understanding of law, because legal is going to be different in each state. But I look at fire departments, which are kind of different where you could be a fire department in Seattle, fire captain in Seattle, but you could come to Virginia and still apply for that same position and not lose anything because you have the exact same training. They have yeah. uniform basic training. For police, that's a little difficult, but I still believe there should be some basic type training that we all have in law enforcement. So no matter what state I go to, we still have that same type of similar baseline training. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's something that we can all work towards in this profession. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So during, during your time, you said, you know, you, you've been through a whole bunch of different uh, assignments and sounds like uh, you, you really enjoyed internal affairs a lot. W- would you say that was kind of your favorite or was that kind of just something that really opened your eyes? I'd say um, probably one of my favorite was when I worked special investigations, when I did uh, the drug interdiction okay. and the other type of investigations, but I don't know. Up management size, I look at it from when Sergeant above internal affairs was probably one of my favorite assignments because I really I felt like I 
they help me really understand uh, the mechanisms of how a police department works, how a city, how the interaction goes. And I, like I said, that was probably the one where I learned the most about, you know, the business of policing was when I was in internal affairs. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Nice. And, you know, we're talking about diversity in your department. What, what, what sort of recruitment efforts are you guys having towards getting you know, more minorities into your department? Well, we have a diverse recruiting department and we try to do all the different things um, from we do try to hit to go to the different HBCUs. We do try to look at, you know, what is it what make us appealing to uh, minorities, um, but also we're like everybody else right now. Our recruiting is tough. I mean, we're down like every other agency. So all of us are kind of going for the same type of officer, same person. And really for at this time, the market is for to where if you're a young officer, you got choices where even if you're not happy in one place, you can go to the other. So yep. it's more than just offering the the money, sometimes the benefits, it's the atmosphere. Do I make, do I feel comfortable at that agency? Or are they going to help me grow? Or are they going to understand things from within the family? So when we do recruit, we try to sell more than just about the benefits, because I look at the benefits about the same for when you look at different places. We try to sell that, you know, if you come here, we're going to help you make a difference. We're going to help you. You're going to save lives. You're going to interact with the community and you're going to leave regardless of whether you go to another agency. Once you leave here, you can be well trained and you're going to be a valuable asset regardless. And we try our best. And like I said, we haven't been lately. It's been because of, you know, over the past years, everybody's having those issues, but we're working on improving it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cause yeah. Yeah. You, you did say over the past year, we've been having issues across the board in, in recruitment just because of, you know, events in the news uh, from 2020 on up to today. But uh, do you also find that uh, even before that, possibly that uh, law enforcement may not be a career for, you know, a lot of millennials nowadays? When I came on the department, it was looked upon as that I was looking at this as a career that I would stay for you yeah. know, an entire, you know, 25 years, you know, here. But what I see with a lot of the young ones, the millennials, if we get five years, that's good because <laughs> they look at it as um, they have different options and they're quick to let you know they'll go to different places. I would always be worried to where what I'm going to do about my next job, if I don't happen to them. And I guess that's one thing that's good. Life seems to roll off their back to where if anything happens, they're like, well, I'll survive. I can go somewhere else. Right. And so and it's when you get people now, it's almost half you. You have to look at it different because a lot of them that some do make a careers, but a lot of them is looking at as I'll test the waters to see if this is what I want to do. And I may try something later on. So yep. it is that getting those ones that that want to make it the career is harder now. Yeah, absolutely. How, how social media play a role in your in your department? Um, we do have a you know real big uh, social media. We're on it Instagram, um, Facebook, um, the different um, platforms to where we try to interact. Um, like I said, it's different. When I first came on, we were just getting in. We still had typewriters. Some people may not remember. We had <laughs> our type search warrants on a typewriter. We um, still remember the whiteout had the big battery pack, cell phones, 
that we carried around with. Yep. And somebody with a cell phone, that was like unusual to see that. And there wasn't really the social media and that just exploded to where it's completely changed. When I tell some young officers, yeah, we used to have pay phones around the corner. Right. Now. I don't even know <laughs> what a pay phone yep. is, but we used to have all that. And the whole, everything changed. And I think that technology has changed and um, you have to be a part of social media, whether you want to or not. Because if not, your agency is going to get left behind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something that uh, you and I have in common is, is working narcotics. You know, you look over my shoulder here. I've got some narcotics, uh, paraf- not paraphernalia, but memorabilia from when I was uh, working that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Blackberries. Remember Blackberries? And Yeah, I had a Blackberry until yep. I think I had the last one until <laughs> yep. I was forced to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why I got here in my, in my shadow box. Yeah, in my shadow box here, I got a BlackBerry, and uh, yeah, I mean Blackberries and pagers. Uh, now that's a little before my time when you, you know you get a call on your pager, you got to stop and use the payphone, and yeah. yeah, but <laughs> I mean I had it, but that was before I was in law enforcement. But uh, yeah, I yeah. had a pager, I had the flip phone, and all of that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, flip phones are coming back though. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they they got the, they they're a little different, smart flip phones, but. <laughs> I would always threaten my kids, you know, because, you know, they were the smart smartphone generation. You know, I'd tell them, hey, you keep messing up. I'm just going to get you a flip phone. Yeah, just basic <laughs> call in and call out. <laughs> that's that's all you need. That's all you needed. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so what, what was kind of the most rewarding part of your job as, as a deputy chief? Um, I think for me is that when I meet people that from, there's two things is, when someone comes up to me from years and years ago and they tell me like, do you remember me? And sometimes I do, I don't. And they say that I did something to help and, you know, change their life. And they um, have, like I met one, he'll have it, he had his son with him. He said, you know, this guy, he used to stay on me all the time and, and how it changed their life. Those things, types of things to where sometimes you'd be thinking that is what I'm doing, making a difference. And when you hear people, say that he does make you feel good hey what the work i did didn't make a difference and i think you know being in a position that i am when when i see different um ones african americans in the community and they're proud that they see someone who is in my position to where i wouldn't be here without their hard work they're the ones who laid a foundation some of the um the officers before me who knew they didn't have a chance to rise to my level so i'm always appreciative when they come to me and tell me good job and we're proud of you um, that always yes. means a lot. Yeah, that, that's awesome because, you know, recruiting is only half the battle because if, you know, people that look like you and I aren't in, in positions like where right. you are, you know, maybe someone doesn't want to go to that agency if they can't see us in those sort of positions. And we got to be not afraid to celebrate when we get in these. Sometimes when we get in these positions, we always want to be cognizant. It doesn't want to look like we're pushing an agenda, but I think we should let people know that we did it and they could do it too. And um, don't be afraid to celebrate, say, Hey, this is how I did it. And I owe a lot to the people that were before me and that um, you can do the same thing that I did. And is that, but always remember, you're not going to do it by yourself. You got building blocks. There are other people that's going to help you along. So don't feel like you got to go through every struggle by yourself. Absolutely. And who are some of the mentors in your career professionally? Well, I had a couple of my, uh, my first um, corporal, you know, you'll remember um, Charlie Lawson. <laughs> he was when I first got hired, when I was uh, first sent to the shift, 
And I remember when I met him, you know, he didn't know who I was. He was like, you know, he said, don't tell him I'll get another effing new guy. And I was like, oh, Lord, this is going to be rough. But <laughs> he was turned out to be real good. He helped me grow because in the first coming on the shift, I never felt like a rookie the way I was uh, treated. That was always a uh, part of it. And he helped guide me along. And then I had one of them um, as higher up would be one of our retired uh, majors, um, Major Davis, who was Assistant Chief Davis, who was um, Deputy Chief at Hampton University Police. He really gave me the freedom when he supervised me as a lieutenant and captain. He gave me a lot of freedom to learn and to grow where I could challenge him. Um, he let me do things my way, even sometimes where he may not agree. He still had the trust and latitude to say, I will try it your way. So that helped me a lot. It gave me a lot of um, confidence. So when I got to this position of assistant chief and deputy chief, and I made deputy chief, I felt comfortable because I was used to making decisions. And my career, I've always been allowed to make decisions and that, and I felt comfortable. And most people, even if I did something, didn't go the way exactly they wanted, they still gave me that latitude to do it. And I was like, hey, you did it. It might've been a different way I did it, but you did it the way you thought was best. Yeah, absolutely. And on the flip side of that, the uh, you know, most rewarding part of your job, what, what's one of the more challenging parts of your job as a deputy chief? Right now, I think it's, when I first came on, like I said, we, had the, uh, we didn't have the technology and we did a lot of stuff by paper and we said that once we go to computers, they, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, to be more streamlined. And I would say is that most of my day is doing paperwork. It is, we've become so inundated between emails, uh, meetings, reports and stuff that as deputy chief, I don't get a chance to get out as much as I like. I like to get out more with the guys, meet the guys so I can understand what they're doing. And as it almost happens, you end up finding yourself you end up becoming the person that when you were patrol, you was like, they're becoming detached and you want to make sure that doesn't happen. So I try my best to do that. But right now is that at my position, it's my day is mostly spent between meetings and paperwork and maybe taking some calls from citizens, but that's a lot of the job. And, and you know, that's going to happen once you get higher up in the rank, you're going to be doing more of that. But yep. I wish there was a way we could streamline a lot of our, some of our, procedure so it was less bureaucratic at times yeah you know one of our uh commanders in my department i guess he went to a training lately and uh, when he came back from that he's over patrol so not only does he go to the patrol briefings he's been out on rides with a with a few of the officers as well you know uh doing traffic stops with them and you know being their backs and all that sort of stuff riding in the car with them on a, on a few shifts yeah. so even even night shift yeah you can believe that. that's yeah. good yeah, yeah. So that that's awesome to see that. So I know I know it's tough in in your your sort of positions because you got a lot of it's not called admin for nothing, but you know, you, got, you got a lot to deal with. But if you can get out there and and and, and the troops see that you you know that you're out there with them and, and you can kind of like what you said, see what they're going through, it goes a long way. But the position is good though because at once you reach the level of deputy chief, you can make decisions that have impacts on the way you know from staffing to. Um, realign the vision dealing with um, strategy so that's the good part of it i don't want anybody to think that it's all bad but the higher up you get you get more of a chance to make more of an impact yeah yeah right right was it was that uh one of those uh 
Biggie and uh, Biggie and uh, and Puffy songs, more money, more problems. Yep. <laughs> I know you think since I'm older, I don't know about Biggie and. Um, yeah, I know Tupac, you do. I know, you but do. I know about it. <laughs> I know about it. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, I didn't say you're old, Chief. That's uh, <laughs> you ain't mean to say nothing like that. <laughs> I know you. See, I know you see these grades up in here, so <laughs> I got a few. I got a few. So, so what's the future hold for you? Uh, I know you said you're thinking about maybe punching it within a year, 30 years. What, what, what's the future hold for you after that? Well, I do a lot of volunteer work, you know, when it comes to the area of youth violence, because that's something that I enjoy. And I'll probably keep doing that to work on how to refine, you know, it's to where we come up with systems to where it's try to be more data driven instead of opinionated what works or what doesn't work because it, what we learned, I think, over the years from between from Rodney King to Michael Brown to George Floyd, that we weren't as in tune with the community as we thought. We had all these, you know, if you talk to everybody, those different ones, we had all the different community engagements, all those things and those happened and we didn't pick it up. We didn't see that there was that type of, you know, uh, discord that was building underneath the surface, especially between a lot of the young, you know, minority communities. So <clears throat> I want to work more on that to find out so we can get that better. What really works, work on, you know, programs that work, what doesn't work, you know, what works for better communities. I want to continue doing that type of work, whether I'm in law enforcement or not. And to do um, have more time to, when I'm not into it to volunteer to really get involved and to get more involved into the community, do those types of things and, and to pass on things that I've learned to help with other people and um, other yep. organizations that may be, my experience may be beneficial. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. You said uh, at the beginning of that, uh, from Rodney King to Michael Brown to George Floyd and, you know, uh, Rodney King was in the eighties. And, and if you go back, you know, I'm, there were incidents in the seventies, there were incidents in the sixties and now in 2022, we're still talking about the same sort of stuff. How, how can we get past that where, you know, we're still talking about the same sort of thing, um, you know, learning from these situations and what works. And, and you know, obviously some things aren't working because we're still talking about these things over the past 40 years or so. I think we have to have the, <clears throat> the hardest discussion to have and the most difficult. And it's not just with um, police, it's politics everywhere it's when it comes to race. That's the common thread in all those situations is race. And we're not having the, the discussions that we need to have because we did. We could pick a lot of those things up quicker. But I think that the issue of race in here is still, you know, not resolved. I think we're a lot better. We have the diversity that we have that we didn't have before. We have a lot of systems in place. But when it comes to those incidents, what you always found looking back was the outreaches that we had, that we thought we had within the minority community, we really didn't have. We had good relationships made with people who we thought were leaders, but those people might not necessarily have the best relationships within the community they were supposed to serve. So what happened was, is that we had good relationships with certain people, but not, we were missing the problems that were building underneath the surface. And I think what we have to do is we have to start going into those uncomfortable spots. We have to start feeling that uncomfortable criticisms and go outside of our own comfort zones to really deal with it because it's not going to go away. And as we see that 
anytime we've had any incident with police that's ignited protests, riots, loss of life has been race was at the bottom and the core of it. And it was normally where there was something that triggered it. And as you look deep into it, there was a complete misunderstanding between the police and a community where they thought they were talking to each other, but they really weren't. And those and I think you're going to see a lot more of that start to come to surface to where if we don't deal with it soon, you'll see that start happen within police departments to where that's an unresolved issue from. I always look on link. I look at people's LinkedIn. I always go and I look out there and I read, you know, people that are FBI police and stuff. And I read some of their comments and some of the things they say sometimes is surprising. Yeah. But when I look at or it, is that part of, <laughs> or not. Yeah, they're part of the community. And I think that we're going to have to start dealing with it. And how we deal with it is still the the question. How do we deal with this? The change in demographics of the country, change in demographics of police departments. We're going to have to find some way to address it, because if not, if we have another type of George Floyd incident, it's going to be devastating for police. We're already we're suffering from that, from recruiting our image and everything. So those types, each time one of those incidents have, it really has a negative effect on us. Yeah, absolutely. You, one step forward and two steps back whenever right. something like that happens. And that happens and, and that affects everywhere, you know, because that happened in Minnesota. But that, that affects, you know, Virginia, that affects out here in California, that's affecting, you know, everywhere. Just, you know, what one one agency does or one officer does. And one agency can, you know, reflects on all of us. Like you said, is that uh, about police departments combining? Well, whether we like it or not, social media has made us combine because of the internet. So something that happens in Hampton can affect California. An yeah. officer can do something where your officers could be doing the right thing, but we can have an officer who does starts a whole national crisis that no one ever see it coming. But the social media has been kind of a unifier <laughs> and divider at the same time. So that we have to look at it, whether we like it or not, we are drawn together as um, police departments, because anything that anyone does, someone that's related and another unrelated in another part of the country will suffer the consequences. Yep. It's the burden we bear as as, as law enforcement, you know, some, yeah. something like you talked about firefighters don't have to deal with it. They don't have to deal with it. So, yeah, but it's hey, it's the. It's, it's the cross that we bear and, and yeah. we, we wear it, we wear it proudly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I couldn't be a firefighter anyway. I have respect nah, for him. I've done lots of shows with him. Um, but yep. I think I, I found my side. Yeah. I always joke with him, but uh, <laughs> I was <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Deputy Chief, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some of that knowledge and, and insight of what's going on in Hampton, but you are not done yet. Remember I told you uh, before we got started here that uh, we are going to have a little fun session with you. And this is called. Uh, Last night I saw a superhero. He was black. He said, this is for the street. Black lightning's back. <laughs> All right. This is my black lightning round. I'm just going to throw some questions at you and you just fire some quick answers back at me. And we'll get some more insight on deputy chief Gallup. Okay. So your first question here is, uh, are you a text or a call guy? I've probably lately been texting more than calling. Okay. All right. Um, we already talked about your favorite assignment all your career. What about your least favorite? Um, I really can't think I had fun in all of them. Um, 
I'm trying to think of was there one that I didn't yeah. have a least favorite. You ever get sent to parking or parking enforcement or anything like that over now, the Now, the thing that um, was hardest for me was that was working accidents. Even though I became okay. went to a fatality school, become a fatality investigator, accidents was probably my least favorite that I had to do. From working that of all the other stuff I did from that was working accidents. Yeah, yeah. Um, other than a dog, what do you think would be a good animal for police work? Uh, man, you got me on that with a dog. Another animal? Horse? Horse? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, we use horses. Horses, horses for patrol. Go. And um, I don't want to lose people because I'm not exactly a big, never been a big cat man. So I don't know. I'm more of a, <laughs> I'm impartial. <laughs> Yeah. I'm impartial cats, to dogs. Cat, <laughs> but I think um, when we see more horses, I think they're good for the patrol and different stuff. Horses and, uh, for that. We talked about your wife uh, liking Al Jarreau. Uh What's your favorite genre of music? Well, too, you know, I'm an old Funkadelic, Parliament Funkadelic. I love mm. the old funk music from Parliament, Bootsy, um, Confunction, even the old school rap from um, Eric B. Rakim. Public Enemy, right. Grandmaster Flash. I'm more of the right. Right. older, older school when it comes to the music. If you listen to my music, if you go and look into my phone, I've got all that in there. The older school music. That's what's up. That's what's up. Uh, never well, had a chance to see the mothership, though. No, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I was going to see it. I never got a chance to see it. Too late for that now. So <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think I don't think George is doing. Bootsy's still performing now. Bootsy's still, but George he stopped performing. Yeah, yeah. What about the longest foot pursuit of your career? Um, I chased a guy one time and I ended up pulling my hamstring <laughs> where we were running. <laughs> and when I fell down the middle of the street, they were they were laughing at me, and I had to get up and I acted like it didn't bother me, but I was hurting bad. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was like, uh, that guy was one of the fastest people I've ever met, and it was running. And I was just like exhausted. And I remember when I pulled a hamstring, man, I just fell out. <laughs> it was embarrassing. But yep. <laughs> uh Cheerios or cornflakes. Cornflakes. Cornflakes, all right. Cornflakes and uh, it had to be the I would probably say the fruit loops. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I should I should have said some some uh some uh sugar. Cereal, I'm addicted to so like sugar. Honey note. Sugar or chocolate. Um, my favorite is Raisinets. I'm addicted to them. I had to stop because uh, if I get a bag or a box, I eat all of them in one setting. <laughs> I love those things. I love chocolate. There you go. Uh, best TV dad ever. Mm. On TV, you know, it. Till his other, it was Cosby. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say he was, <laughs> but but the different well, issue. You know, the character was still good, though. The character was good, but you know, the, you know, I guess you had to separate yeah. the character from the personal yep. part of it. You know, as a TV character, I thought that was a uh, because of more kind of realistic. You know, if you take away the, the personal part, which which you can't, but I say on that side, as a TV dad, I say that was probably top TV dad. There you go. Uh, if you could work as a cop in a different country for a year, where would it be? Different country? Yep. Um, 
Well, I didn't mention I was in the military, you know, also, and I was stationed over in, um, during um, the Iraq war, I was active and I was in Spain. I love to go to one of those countries again. I liked um, that part of the world, um, Spain, Portugal over there. And I wouldn't mind being over there because I like their way their attitudes was. So I, I love to try policing over there. Nice. Would you rather be tased or pepper sprayed? Um, tased. <laughs> the pepper spray stays in your eyes for a long time. Yeah. It, it tased, it hurts for a short period of time, but it goes away. But that pepper spray, it can, uh, that has lingering effects a long time. For sure. Best donut? Cinnamon. Cinnamon? Yeah. Oh, oh Cinnabon, yep. Yeah. All right, and the last one, uh, I told you we were out in the area recently for my daughter, and we'll be back there frequently. So what's a must-place visit in Virginia? Um, depends on if you like the amusement parks, I say you got to go to the Kings Dominion, the Bush Gardens, and those area. And, of course, I got to say my city had to come here and visit um, NASA, where you can see where the, a lot of the early astronauts were and you come down here you got to see where the plantation tree in the hampton and i'd say also if you come here you got to come to where former uh, historic where you see a lot of the early history this is where the first slaves came in into virginia point comfort they came in this area here and so you'll learn a lot of the history if you're into that about what was it like for doing that early slave trade where they came in you guys should come and see the spots where they came to so I would tell anybody to come and visit to really get a true understanding of where we came from and how we got to where we are today. Amen. Amen. All right, Chief, I, I appreciate you coming on to the show. This is this is real fun. Um, any any words of wisdom for the uh, for the viewers and the listeners before we get you out of here? I tell everybody that law enforcement is a rewarding profession. I know we've taken our hits. And I would encourage everybody to tell their children to, to think about it. It's this is one of the few professions where you can make a difference every day in somebody's life. And I, it's easy to criticize from the outside, but to make a change, sometimes we need more people in the inside. The people who may have contrary views to ours join the ranks, you know, help move us forward. And the people who need us the most when we have the shortages sometimes they may get the least amount of help because of we don't have those um, bodies so i would tell everybody is that encourage friends family to i like for you to come here to hampton but join somewhere become you know get into law enforcement so you can make that difference and you can really make those changes that i was talking about those systematic changes and because this is the time with a lot of groups of people starting to my people in my group have retired and over the next few years you can have those retirements if you join now you'll be in those leadership roles and you'll have the opportunity to really make a difference that part right there all right deputy chief i appreciate you coming on and and having some fun with us and uh you be safe out there and enjoy the rest of your week Absolutely. You take care, sir. All right, y'all. That's it, ladies and gentlemen, for this edition of the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank Deputy Police Chief Oren Gallup from the Hampton, Virginia Police Division for sharing some stories and knowledge with all of us. 
And if you guys enjoyed this conversation too, click that like button on the YouTube channel or rate it five stars if you listen to the audio podcast version of the show. I'll be back in two short weeks with another intriguing and entertaining episode just like this one. But till then, y'all already know. Stay black and blue. I'll holler at you. Deuces. This has been a Nature D Entertainment presentation.